Good morning, everybody. How are y'all? There we go. There it is. There it is. My name is Aaron King. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here and uh, just uh, have the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning and to wrap up our Taste and See sermon series. Very, very excited. It's based on Psalm 34.8, which says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So um, as we wrap up today, I want to ask the question to you guys, like what happens when you taste something good? And to illustrate the point, I asked many of you to tell me what your favorite meals were. And uh, I got a lot of responses. So uh, guys, if you will play this video, we're going to hear from you guys on, on what, what your favorite things to taste are. So let's watch. Thank you, Matt, for your list of egg dishes. That was great. So, um, uh, Greg, yours made me the most hungry, I'm on, if I'm honest, when you said that. I was like, man, I want to have that. Um, so, as we were talking about what it means to taste and see, like, the reason I had everybody list their favorite foods is that um, if somebody really likes something, they usually tell you about it. Like, um, is there any, like, Whataburger fans or In-N-Out fans, like, out there? Like, the, there are certain restaurants or certain places that people, um, people are, are, as the kids say, they're stands of. They uh, really love them, and they are uh, advocates for them. And uh, the point is that when you have an amazing meal, you like to tell other people about it so that they can experience what you experienced. I know listening to that video, which is why... I probably should have done that at the end instead of the beginning because now you have to wait a little while for lunch. But um, you want to experience what they experienced. For a lot of us, it made us hungry listening to some of those descriptions. So for us, how this applies to us today is once we've tasted and seen 
the goodness of God, which is the point of this entire series that we're going through. We're going to look at how this transforms us into advocates for that goodness, to where we are wanting to go out and see other people taste and see that the Lord is good. This meal that we have tasted is the goodness of God, and once we have tasted it, we must share it. So we're going to look at Micah 6.8, so if you'll turn to Micah 6.8, and I'd like to invite Henry Burrell to come up. He's going to read this for us. So this is our passage this morning, and Henry's going to read it. This is Micah 6.8. Good morning. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have, as we have sung already, we have tasted and seen your goodness. We have stood in the power of your presence. And that makes us sing, you alone are worthy of the highest praise and all of my love. So God, I pray that for those this morning who have never experienced your goodness, I pray that you would meet them head on with your goodness that is exemplified that you came to die on the cross. Not that we would just have life now, but have eternal life. So God, I just pray that as we learn what it means to be advocates of your goodness and to multiply and extend your goodness in the lives of others, that your spirit on this day celebrating Pentecost, your spirit would come and fill us. Empty us of all the junk, empty us of all the things, and fill us with your spirit, O Lord, we ask. Amen. All righty. So yes, Micah 6.8, one of my favorite passages, and immediately in this text, we see three simplified commands that the Lord requires of us. And a little context in Micah is that you had the people of God asking, what is it? What is it that makes God tick? What can we do? Is it, do we need to do this? Do we need to do this? Is it this many kinds of offerings? Is it all these things? And, and comes back in Micah 6.8 and said, says, Basically, like, in layman's terms, like, hey, he's already told you, like, duh. Like, he's told you, oh, man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So we see three commands. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. And um, these three requirements are what happens when someone is embraced by the goodness of God to such a depth that they feverishly desire to see others experience that goodness. And I don't know about y'all, but when I, when I read this text, maybe for the first time, um, I, I, I saw a picture of something in that there's three commands in here, to do, to love, and to walk. And as I was thinking about what it means to be the body of Christ, uh, I, I, I kind of saw that, you know, we do things with our hands. We love with our heart, and we walk with our feet. And that just kind of crystallized some of this stuff for me is that as the body of Christ, 
We're all called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We're called to love with the heart of God. And so in Micah 6, 8, you're seeing pictures of the gospel. With my hands, I do things. I take action. I was working on my car yesterday. I still have grease on my hands. I could not have worked on my car with my heart. I could have stood there and looked at it and really wanted to, really desired it. But until I took action, I had not worked on my car. Um, With my heart, I feel, I believe, I desire. With my feet, I walk, I journey, I change where I am present. So I want you to have this paradigm in mind as we look at these three points, these three expressions of what does the Lord require of you? What happens when we experience the goodness of God for real, as we have sung about this morning? What kind of people do we become? So firstly, if you're taking notes, this is one. We carry out justice for your neighbor. You carry out justice for your neighbor. First, we are called to carry out justice The text says to do justice. Other translations read, carry out justice. And the word justice at its core means this. It means to make things right. What a beautiful picture of what the church should be in the world. Christians are to be known as a people who, when they are introduced to the world at large, they are a people who make things right. And that's in stark contrast to throughout history, a lot of times people known as Christians are known as just the opposite. But true believers, those who follow the gospel, are people who carry out justice by making things right. Scripture is full of this call from the heart of God to the people of God. I'm going to give you some examples. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. The Lord is a God of making things right. Blessed are those who wait for him. That's who God is. He's a God of making things right. Isaiah 1, 17 says, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. James 1, 27 Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their adversity and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So God is a God of justice, a God of making things right. And he calls us to be a people of making things right. Amen? A people of making things right. Justice. But the question then becomes... If we're to carry out justice, who are we to carry out justice for? What is my responsibility? Who am I to make things right for? Because for us, in the modern internet age, it's very easy to wake up every morning to another school shooting, another um, incident in the world that leads us to be overwhelmed by the not-rightness of our world. And it can, it can feel overwhelming like somehow we have to be the one that fixes everything. So let's talk about ways we carry out justice and the scope of that. See, I carry out justice every day for my kids. That's the example I can think of. 
So Sam, my son, who likes sausage, as he said in the video, he has a tendency to steal his sister Melody's toys. And now Melody has learned how to reciprocate this and steal his toys. Um, and see, either me or my wife Erin are the ones to carry out justice in these situations. Am I right? We are making things right in this situation. Um, but the question is, is how far does that, that, that justice extend? Am I, am I just an agent of justice in my house? Am I just an agent of justice in my church, in the people that I know, the people that I love, the people that look like me, the people that think like me? Um, luckily for us, surprise, Jesus has an answer for us. I know that's very surprising to you, but Jesus has an answer for us, and we're going to get there. Um, so entering a little bit of historical fact Entering the 1930s, um, this is what you get from listening to podcasts, lots of history people. Um, entering the 1930s, the United States um, was in a tough spot. So, been ravaged by two great catastrophes, World War I and the Great Depression. Rough. And due to that destruction that happened, there arose kind of a, a political doctrine called isolationism. And the doctrine of isolationism was basically this for the United States. We will make things right for us, but everybody else, we're going to stay isolated. We're going to leave everybody else. And that's one thing when it comes to a political or a national thing. But, but make no mistake, like for us, when we bring that down to a personal level, for the people of God, isolationism is not the thing. It's not what he's calling us toward. I think Chad or Lee, I don't remember who it was, mentioned, you know, we're not called to live in our houses. Our houses are not to be castles that we look over and peer down at everybody down there and go, hey, there's somebody, there's somebody. Okay, shut the door. We're not called to just live lives that are isolated. As individuals, as families, and as a church, God is calling us to be agents of justice, agents of making things right out there in the world. Because every single one of us, when we dismiss, we're going to go out there. We're going to go to restaurants. We're going to go to workplaces. We're going to go to daycares. We're going to go to schools. We're going to be out there. And Jesus has a story about what it's like to be out there and what our responsibility is as believers. So you can turn to this, or it'll, um, you don't have to. Most of you probably know this, this passage, but Luke 10 says this. It's about the Samaritan. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, there was a man who was waylaid, a Jewish man. Several people passed him by, religious leaders, political leaders. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him, and he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And this, this parable was started because one of the religious leaders said, I've done everything, I'm great. And Jesus said, Love your neighbor. And he said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus responded with this story. 
we're responsible for those who come across our path. In the world's eyes and the religious cultures of the day, see, the Samaritan man wasn't responsible for this Jewish man. So in the context that Jesus would have been telling this story, he had, in fact, lots of reasons not to be responsible for this Jewish man. See, men like him had marginalized and oppressed Samaritans, and there was cultural strife between them. But what Jesus is showing us here in, in Micah 6, 8 and in Luke 10 is what it means to live out these words, to be walking with God, attentive not to yourself, but to God and to others, to see someone in distress and have empathy and kindness toward him, and then to act, to do justice, to make things right. Seeing the goodness of God in the lives of others necessitates action. We must, like the Samaritan, as we go, as we are walking, we must put aside our own personal gain, put aside. And that only happens when we've experienced the goodness of God, which loves us with this same love we're about to talk about, that puts aside. It said Jesus, Jesus came down from heaven. He didn't presume equality with God, something to be grasped, but he made himself like us. He became flesh. He's modeling for us. So point number one, we have to carry out justice for our neighbor. We have to carry out justice. We have to act. For us to multiply the goodness of God, for us to experience the meal of the goodness of God, and then see that for others, we have to act. We have to use our hands. We have to make things right. Number two, it says love kindness. So number two is we have to love like God loves. We have to love like God loves. We will not act like God acts if we do not love like God loves. So I want to talk to you about the word kindness a little bit in a second. But the word kindness in our text in the ESV is the Hebrew word hesed, which is used to describe in multiple places the way God loves. And there's a lot of what this could mean. I'll have uh, Grafton put this uh, graphic up on the screen. So when you think of hesed, I want you to think of all of these things. Mercy. Some translations read mercy instead of kindness. That's why. Faithfulness, kindness, compassion, loyal love. These are the ways that God expresses his love toward us. And these are the ways that God is saying, you are to express your love. We are to love kindness. Love has said, love like God loves. Mercy, faithfulness, loyal in your love, compassionate. And so I want to talk a little bit because the, the English translation in the ESV says kindness. And I, I got to tell you, I think kindness gets a bad rap. Um, I think kindness really gets a bad rap because um, people are always talking about being kind. And it kind of seems like, a, like just a throwaway phrase. Um, and I think what a lot of people kind of think kindness is on the surface is just be nice to people. Just be nice to people. It's like a southern thing, like be sweet, 
like sweet tea. Sweet tea can be too sweet, y'all. Um, that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's free. Yeah. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. If you think that the kindness that this text is talking about is just, just love being nice to people. Wrong. That's missing the point. That's taking our modern understanding and just, just rolling with it. God's not calling us just to love being nice. So I've seen people on Twitter, which is the worst place, y'all. Um, don't go there. Um, but Christians who are talking about how we're not, like kindness is, is not that big of a deal as Christians. It is. It's the whole deal. And here's why. If it's just being nice to people, I understand. But it's not. It's not. It's the whole ball game. Amy Peterson who's an author, notes, she talks about this in one of her books, that our English word kindness, it originates from the word kindred or kin. What does that mean? It means family. To love kindness, to love hesed in the Hebrew, it means to love the way God loves. Love making people The word kindness is adoption. The word kindness means I will treat you like my kind. In Luke 10, when that Samaritan man looked at that Jewish man who had every reason to despise, he looked at him and he said, I will treat you like my kind. I will take care of you. I will put you, he didn't say just put you on a donkey. He put you on his donkey. He's using the things that he has to serve this man. He's spending. It's costly. He's doing all this because he's treating this man like my kin, my family. I will make this man like family to me. And that is so much better and so much more difficult than just being nice. But that's... Aren't we glad that God doesn't look at us and, and, and just is like, I'm just going to be nice to him. I'm just going to be nice. No. He looks at us as people who he has every reason <laughs> to say, I don't want to have anything to do with. They don't want to have anything to do with me. They hate me. They're my enemy. They've rebelled against me. And he says, I'm going to make them like family to me. The word kindness means to love making people family. It means to adopt. It's adoptive love. It's not a fluffy, feel-good, modern sentiment. It's the word of God and the power of his spirit among the church. It's a heavy thing. Romans 2 says this. It says God's kindness. So think about that. God's has said his making us like family leads us to repentance. Because on a surface level, it can be taken to mean God's nice to us when we don't deserve it, and that leads us to repent or turn away from our sin. But a better understanding is this. God treating us like his family, adopting us into his family, leads us to abandon our other family and our sin, which is our sin and our selfless nature. Think about that. That change, it just, it dramatically enriches 
our understanding of that. So for us, when God is commanding us to go and to love kindness, he's saying this. He's saying, I've left the 99 for you, the one. And imagine, this is dumb, but like I just think like God's just like pitching this to the angelic host. Like, I'm going to leave the 99 for the one. And they're like, that doesn't make good business sense, God. (laughs) It doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't. So when you start to implement some of these things, when you start to live like this, like the Samaritan man who I'm sure he got back home and all of his buddies were like, you spent how much on that Jewish man who hates us? What? (laughs) It is foolishness in the eyes of the world. He left the 99 for you, for me, for the one. To not just be nice to me and throw me a bone, but to adopt me and you into his family. Not as the the runt of the litter. Not as the one who squeaked in, but as a prized son or daughter. And he's saying, you go and do likewise. And the only way he can say that And the only way that's even possible for us to do is because we have, as we sang this morning, because I've tasted and seen your goodness, and I've stood in the power of your presence. That's the only way. And I never thought I would be the kind of pastor that sings during a sermon, so I'm sorry. (laughs) So what do you get for having the worship pastor preach? I'm sorry. Um, Where was I? Seeing the goodness of God in the lives of others necessitates Hased kind of love that pursues the good of others. Grafton, will you put that circle graphic back up for me, buddy? Um, it necessitates Hased kind of love. Number three, walk humbly and attentively before God. And the, the third thing is, is that we are to walk So we've talked about things we do with our hands, things we do with our hearts, to act, we're to love, and now we're to walk. There's a lot of of stuff about feet in the Bible. It's weird, but there is. Washing feet, preparation of the gospel, walking. There was a lot of walking (laughs) to the people that read the Bible. They didn't hop in their cars. They had to walk. And what walking does is it, it changes where you're present. So we will not have the heart of God or the hands of God if we are not walking with him in obedience, in attentiveness to him and to others. So in short, what the third command is, is it's not about you. John 3, 27 through 30, he must increase and I must decrease. Less of me and more of him. So we, we, we spend our lives and And to use the taste and see comparison, we're talking about this meal that is the goodness of God that's offered to us freely. So while we're to spend our lives sharing this meal and the goodness of God, we are not the point. We are not the meal. We're called to be advocates for this meal of God's goodness, for the gospel. We don't make it. We're not in the kitchen at all. Our personalities don't make it. Our successes don't make it. Our failures aren't, aren't part of this meal. Fellowship Jonesboro, not the meal. 
The goodness of God is the meal. End of story. But what we get to do (laughs) is we get to be the people that say, have you tried this new place? It's flipping awesome. We get to be the people that say, like, I think about all of you, several of you who have shared, like, all the, like, about Native on G Street or Story Coffee House. Like, we get to be those people, but not for, not for a coffee house. We get to be those people for life-changing goodness. It's not about us. We get to be the waiters, the busboys, the hostesses, the ones who say, let me take you to the table. Let me carry you there. And most people need to be, all people need to be carried there. No one gets there on their own. Need to be carried there. And that's what God is saying. He's saying, won't you carry people to my table that they may taste and see the goodness of God? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about this church. It's about the goodness of God. End of story. See, God is calling us back to the garden. In the garden, he said both that things were good, things were right, and he walked. It says Adam walked with God. Humbly, meaning attentive to him and others. The Christian life is to be walking with God in his creation, how it was in the beginning, letting him lead us to the places that he would go. You think about that. The places that Jesus went when he became flesh. Those are probably some of the places that we should go. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't he had rhythms of, of retreating and being with himself and being with the Father. But he didn't just stay up on the mountaintop the whole time of his ministry. He went. He walked. He changed where he was present. We're to let him lead us to those places. We're to let him change our hearts and look out with his kind of love. And we're to let him move our hands to action, to be agents of his goodness. So let's recap, and then we're going to have some application time and response. Grafton, once you put point one, we're to carry out justice for our neighbor, do justice our hands to act. When we've, when we've experienced the goodness, when we've tasted a scene, we're to carry out justice. We're to love like God loves, number two. And we're to walk humbly and attentively before God. So as we move into application and response, and uh, we're going to have a, a good, sizable time to, to pray and to respond in some very specific ways. Um, I want, to, I want to highlight a couple of things of application. One is, is the cycle of, of being filled and being poured out. You, you can't do justice or love your neighbor if, you're, if you've got nothing to pour out and to give them. So, like, um, if you're a dry, cracked bowl, you're not going to have anything to give. If you're here and, and, and you've never received the goodness of God in your life, it is utterly impossible to do any of the things that we've, we've talked about. It'll just be a shadow. Um, 
But the good news is this. You can receive the gospel today. I believe that. We believe that. God walked in the places where we were. John 1, he was made flesh. He came and he walked with us. He demonstrated his love toward you. Romans 5, 8, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And he has forever made things right for you by justifying you, Romans 5, 1, in his sight by his work on the cross. That's the goodness of God. That's the gift that you can receive today if you've never experienced this. But before you can share that gift, you have to experience it. How disingenuous and how unhelpful would it be to say, man, you should really try out this place. And they're like, have you been there? No. <laughs> I've not. I've not tasted it. I don't know what it's like, but you, you should try it. <laughs> I mean, that recommendation is not going to be very, very uh, held very high compared to somebody who's been like, I've seen and I've tasted. This place is awesome. Those of us who've followed Christ for years, we, we can't grow apathetic to the need to be poured into by the Spirit of Christ. We're celebrating the, the day of Pentecost today, being poured, Spirit being poured out. You can't, you must be poured into. We must always have the attitude of, God, won't you, won't you empty me of myself, less of me and more of you? Won't you pour into me? And the good news is that when, when God does that, we don't have to worry about you know, figuring out what we're going to tell people, what we're going to give people, because he gives it to us. We're just the vessel. <laughs> That's awesome. Takes the pressure off. Another thing is that you can't invite people into the goodness of God if you're not around people. Like, it just doesn't work. Like, and, and that works on several levels. Like, you have to not just be in physical proximity to people, but you have to actually, like, has anyone ever experienced, like, when you're around somebody, and there's people that just kind of like you're around them, but they're not like really like recognizing that you're there. Um, there's a moment when like eye contact happens. And you're like, I recognize that you're here and we're really talking. You have to really be around people. And the last application before we jump into prayer is, is a question of where do I start? You may be asking if I want to do justice and I want to love kindness and I want to walk humbly with God. And I want to see other people experience the goodness of God in a real impactful way. Where do I start? Isaiah 1, as we read before, says this. Learn to do good. You just learn. God's not up there going, all right, you're going to try this the first time and it's going to be phenomenal. No. He says learn to do good. You have to learn. Learning necessitates trying and failing and just keep trying again. Just like a baby learns to walk, we have to learn to do good. Small steps are important. God's called us to start. We've talked about a lot of this in this series, welcoming people to, actually, to share tangible meals with one another. Um, people are going to go get lunch after this. Welcoming people into your home. Asking yourself the question, is my home a castle? When was the last time somebody was in it? <laughs> You know, and there's some very specific prayers that we're going to ask during response that is where you start. So I want to invite Nat and the band to come up, and I want you to think about this. Do justice. Once again, take action with my hands. Love kindness. 
and to walk humbly, change where I'm present. So now's going to be a, a time of response where what we want to do is we want to pray and we're going to ask God to speak, to pour out his spirit. And when that happens, things happen. God might encourage you to go and to share with someone in this room a word or to encourage them. He might um, prompt you to come and be prayed for by the prayer team who's going to stand up here. Prayer team, you can go ahead and come up if, if you're around. Um, but there's very specific, a few very specific, specific prayers that I want us to pray. And uh, Grafton, you can go ahead and put up that last slide. So as we pray around these three areas, pray this. God, would you put my hands to work as a gardener of your fields, a servant at your table to make things right for others? God, would you capture my heart with your said kindness and love and move me to love like you have loved me? And God, would you guide my life in your path? the kind of places you went when you became flesh. Let me be present with people and not hidden. So we're going to focus in our prayers and our response to this, and, and, and we're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to see what he does in our midst. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that we have tasted and we have seen that you are good, that you've redeemed our lives from the pit. You've crowned us with praise that, God, I thank you that like my son was sharing the story of the prodigal son as a, as a little four-year-old, he was telling us what it, what it meant, that you saw us while you, you were, we were a long way off and you ran up to us and, and you said, let's have a party. Thank you for your extravagant love. And I pray right now that as we pray to be people who extend that goodness to others, that, that make no mistake, every person in this room, his extravagant love is for you right now. His pursuing love is for you right now. He wants to heal people this morning, whether it's physically or of strongholds of, of things in their lives that have been there for years. He wants to move in powerful ways. God wants you, would you take the lead right now in this time? Would you lead us, Holy Spirit lead us Fill us as we sing your praises, a mighty one, mighty one. I worship you, for I've tasted and seen your goodness. Amen. So um, I invite you to stand if you want to, and we're going to sing and, and pray. You can stand, you can sit. Um, but I encourage you to we'll leave this, play instrumentally for a bit and then leave this on the screen, the prayer of response and, and, um, and pray through these things on your own. 
and ask God's spirit to speak to you. Let's respond.